Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Romans. Let's turn to Romans chapter 11. We are going to be starting in verse 11. And while we turn there, uh, last installment of this series, we were talking about the question of, has God rejected his people? And how is this going to really interact in Jewish-Gentile relations in the church? How do we see grace working? How do we obtain grace while not calling it works? And there's a lot of issues there that we covered, but now St. Paul is going to be getting into the motivations behind everything that's happened in this new dynamic here. So let's go ahead and just jump right into Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, there are three key takeaways from this passage that I'm just going to go ahead and give to you before we go verse by verse through the passage. The first takeaway here is that this is St. Paul's hope. This really is what he hopes will happen to his fellow Hebrews. He explains the circumstances. The second key takeaway being well, Jews were broken off so that Gentiles could be grafted into Israel. This is why we have what's called New Israel, the church. The third takeaway, though, is that St. Paul's hope, given the circumstances of his kin, is that they will return to Christ. 
that they will return to the olive tree with an enlightened understanding that, yes, Jesus Christ truly is the Christ, the Messiah. And this has some implications for the lives of believers today. So let's look into this here. Verse 11 says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. When he says, did they stumble in order that they might fall, remember we covered last week that Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, this is verse 7, but the rest were hardened after they rejected Christ. So he's asking here, did they stumble in order that God might finally reject them forever? That it would be impossible for them to be saved? He's already rejected this in the first verse of chapter 11 when he asks, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And then he gets into how this remnant of people, well, they were allowed to continue in faithfulness to God. And St. Paul, having previously been somebody who rejected Jesus, who persecuted the church, here he is as a believer. If it is a total rejection, then this wouldn't be the case. So he's saying, well, no, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. There's a bit of history there that we'll get into. But the idea is here is that, well, now, for those Jews who do not believe in Jesus, who have been hardened, well, they're supposed to be jealous. In a good way, they're supposed to see how good it is for these Gentiles and for the believing Jews that they're saved, that they are rejoicing in Jesus Christ. They're supposed to see that and go, I want that. I want that for me and for my family too. You know what? I'm going to go to this Christian church here and learn who this Jesus guy that I rejected, what was he really about? Now, he does say that it is through their trespass salvation has come to the Gentiles. Does this necessarily mean that God elected from eternity past here that Jews should sin against him by rejecting the Messiah. No, I honestly think it's more likely that the history there is playing out such that salvation came to the Gentiles. What do I mean by that? Well, we already understand from Acts chapter 10 and elsewhere that God just says, hey, Gentiles can be saved now. Gentiles can be part of Israel without having to go through the entire proselyte phase, so to speak. And St. Peter rejoices in that. This is where we get the story of Cornelius the centurion. So God had already opened up salvation to the Gentiles. But we also can't forget that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they were, well, they were going about the business of persecuting the church and scattering them outside of Jerusalem. So here they are now. <laughs> outside of Jerusalem, and they still have to preach. They're still commanded in the Great Commission to spread the gospel to every creature. And that's going to include the Gentiles. As they are going, suddenly it becomes evident to the apostles that when Jesus says, as you are going, 
Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That has to include the Gentiles. But would they have left Jerusalem? Would they have left Judea unless the Jews had rejected Christ and then persecuted the church? I kind of doubt it. After all, after Pentecost, what do they do in the book of Acts? They get into a holy huddle and they chill out, kind of waiting for Jesus to come back. They live this communal lifestyle, uh, almost in blatant rebellion to the Great Commission, where Jesus says, yeah, go, go, go. Go out into Judea, Samaria, into the ends of the earth, proclaiming the gospel. And they're like, yeah, but we're really happy. We're going to go ahead and uh, share our possessions and we're going to chill out and preach the word. And so God permitted the persecution that scattered them so they would actually do what he said. So St. Paul says, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Not that their trespass was required for salvation to come to the Gentiles. It is an accident of history that brought the Apostle Paul to all these places. So St. Paul says... This brings salvation to the Gentiles through this trespass. And when he says it's through, a good analog to this, a good parallel, was how Joseph was cast out of Canaan by his brother, sold into slavery. And then later on, as the famine hits and Joseph has somehow, by the grace of God, become second in command of all of Egypt, here, now, Joseph sees his brothers and he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. He took your bad things that you were doing, and he drew straight lines with those crooked sticks. He did something good in spite of what you were doing. He used your evil in such a way as to frustrate evil. It's kind of like that. I believe that's what St. Paul is getting at here. And now he gets more into his hope in verse 12. If their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So, hey, wouldn't this be great if Jews rejecting Jesus turned into Gentiles being saved all over the known world, and this means they have the riches of the graces of God. They have salvation now by faith in Christ, well, the more the merrier. And wouldn't it be good to see these Jews coming back to the fold, coming back to Christ? That would be fantastic. And truth be told, that would be good news. I don't care who you are, and I don't care how you feel about the Jews. It is objectively good news for them to believe in Jesus, to be baptized, to become a part of the Christian church, and to start obeying what Christ tells us to do. Not only for straight-up goodwill towards them that their souls may be saved, but also for everybody to start actually getting along. St. Paul's hope is a good hope to have. And it's a tragedy that the Lutheran church out in Germany quit the 500-year Juden mission where they were doing their best to evangelize to Jews pretty much everywhere. It is a real tragedy because here they are saying, well, Mr. St. Paul... That's all very good and well and everything, but we're not going to evangelize to these people anymore. They don't need it because um, we're now holding to this heresy here called dual covenantalism. We're going to reject everything the scriptures say about this, and we're just going to consign people to damnation because that feels better and nicer. Yeah, it's that bad. 
it, it's really terrible how the Lutheran church in Germany is acting. I wish they would restart the Juden mission, but they'd have to be confessional first. I digress. Continuing in verse 13, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. He is still going to care about his own people. Yes, St. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. That's his like official title in church history. He's the guy that brought the gospel to us. And that's a wonderful thing. He's still allowed to care about his own kin. He is still allowed to say, hey, yes, I want all these Gentiles to be Christians. I still care about you, and I still love you. But honestly, if I'm going to be honest with you, a part of this, a part of my motivation for everything I'm doing is to make my co-ethnics jealous. Again, not jealous in the sense of violating the ninth and 10th commandment, but jealous in the sense that maybe this will motivate them to see the good that you have and to have it as well. This would be life from the dead. These are people that if they die in their rejection of Christ Jesus, they will go to hell. He doesn't want that happening to them. Nobody should want that to happen to them. So by all means, he says, I want them to convert as well. After all, the whole church is holy, including the roots that we see with the patriarchs, the father of faith, Abraham, with all of the history there, that's holy. And, well, so are the branches. But, he gets into more about that whole branches metaphor here. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Now, before we move on there, let's unpack that a little bit. Yes, unbelieving Jews were broken off from Israel. They are no longer part of God's Israel. There is a political nation state of people that is called Israel, and the people that live there that have Jewish heritage believe that they belong to Israel, but that is not the real, true Israel of God. That's the church. That's his chosen people. St. Peter will say in his epistles that the church is a chosen people, the royal nation of God, a nation of priests even, using language exclusive to the Old Testament addresses that Moses gives to Israel and applying them to the church. But that said, St. Paul is saying, this used to not belong to you, Gentiles. You weren't a part of this. Now you are. And people were broken off and God saw that and grafted you in. You are now part of something. You are not the whole. Do not be arrogant about this. I am not Abraham. I am a Gentile. <laughs> the pastor speaking here, I am uh, mostly French and German and a little bit of Anglo in there as well. I'm a Gentile, ethnically speaking, 100%. 
I am of no blood relation to Abraham. I am of no blood relation to King David. I have not personally come from a long line of people who went through the biblical struggles in the Old Testament. And Hebrews today, people of Jewish extraction, they are. And they were broken off and you were grafted in. Now, Abraham and King David and all of the tribes of Israel, all of that is your heritage. You are united to Christ in your baptism, which means that you, properly speaking, belong to the Davidic family. That's a real connection. That is real heritage there, even if it is not by blood. But while that heritage belongs to you and not to unbelieving Jews who might have an ethnic blood claim to it, that does not mean we lord it over people of Jewish extraction. We do not tell them, ha, now I own Abraham. Why? Why wouldn't I say such a thing? Why wouldn't I make a boast like that? Well, because God took me, a wild olive shoot, and grafted me into a heritage. He said, now you are a part of this. And I broke off those who don't believe anymore so that you could be saved, tiny little pastor. <laughs> Listen up, pipsqueak. This does not belong to you. You belong to this now. It is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. And you can punt to saying, well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And he says, St. Paul says, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. It's not faith in you. It's not faith in me, in our goodness, in our merit. It is 100% by grace that God brought us to being members of his Israel. So he says, okay, this is a faith that you belong to now. This is not you being so great and special that you were the one that personally saw to it that the Jews were broken off. Instead, well, really, you should fear. He says in verse 20, Do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. God reserves the right to reject you. O Gentile believer, for the same reason he rejected the bulk of the Jews. If you decide that your faith is in you, if you decide that you have a cause to be proud in yourself, rather than to realize that you too are a poor, miserable sinner who is saved by God's grace alone, well, then God can say very well, bye. I'm going to cut you off too because you're doing the same stinking sin that they were doing when they first rejected Jesus. And you don't want that for you, so you better be humble. You must continue in his kindness. That is not relying on you and on your greatness, but relying on God's mercy and grace to you. And he says, otherwise you too will be cut off. Salvation works for the Gentile Christian the same way it works for a Jewish Christian. Belief in Jesus Christ. 
faith in him which justifies apart from the works of the law. And if you're going to rely on your own works or your own status or your own merit or your consanguinity or anything like that, uh, guess what? You're out. It's basically apostasy. St. Paul will get into this far more harshly in the book of Galatians. This is the first time, by the way, that he's kind of beaten up on the Gentiles in the church. There is very evidently a conflict between Jews and Gentiles in the Roman congregation. And this is, again, the very first time he's said anything harsh to the Gentiles. He's been beating up on his kin more in Romans than Gentiles. But he's saying, listen, yes, rejoice that God has accepted you into his people. Do not rejoice that branches were broken off to make room for you. Instead, you really do need to see this as God being gracious to you and relying on that. Be humble, guys, or else something bad could happen to you. And we continue in verse 23 here. And even they, that is the Jews, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? He's saying, listen, if they believe, they're back. They're back in. You don't have to be broken off in order for that to happen. (laughs) Thank God, you're still part of the church. But that would be something that should happen easily for them. Remember, he talks about the advantages of the Jews. Earlier in the first couple of chapters of Romans, he says much in every way. You know, they have these oracles, they have Holy Scripture, they had the Old Testament. They had all these advantages, these foundations in that first century that made it easier for them to understand the basis for the gospel, for all the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. So it should be easy, much like a cultivated olive tree has a branch broken off and then it's grafted back in again, that should be way easier than it was for you Gentiles. It's also evident here then that St. Paul's big hope is that his kin will return, that they will go back to the olive tree, that they will be grafted in. Does he believe in an eschatological restoration of all Jewish people to salvation though? No. He's talking about his hope. He's talking about the purpose of part of his ministry here. He's talking about the relationship between Gentiles and Jews in the Roman church in the first century. And honestly, something that does apply to us a good bit today. And we shouldn't be arrogant just because we're Christians. We should not hold ourselves above others who are not part of Israel. But nonetheless, let's keep in mind here what he says in verses 13 and 14. Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Not all of them. If St. Paul did truly believe in an eschatological hyper-revival in which every person of Hebrew descent in the entire world just miraculously was regenerated and became a Christian If he really thought that way, he wouldn't hope to save some of them by his efforts. Because after all, God would just be doing it, right? God would say, all right, I got this, don't worry, they'll come to me. (laughs) 
No, St. Paul says this is an active part of his ministry to the Gentiles, the hope that his kin will be saved. Some of them, not all of them. There is still a purpose here. So this goes against ideas of dual covenant theory, as well as the standard uh, dispensationalist or premillennial belief that one day all the Jews are just going to wake up and go, oh yes, the Nazarene, Jesus, he really was the Messiah. Let's all believe in him. And suddenly millions and millions of them all just rejoice and dance in the streets and get baptized. That's not really what St. Paul is saying. And also, on the flip side, we should bear in mind that the humility to which he calls the Gentiles is not something that sets Gentiles underneath Jews. I mean, this is not what St. Paul is saying. In Ephesians, he talks about the dividing wall being broken down. We don't need this notion of racial superiority in order to just say, I am a Christian, I'm going to be a humble Christian with faith in Christ, and on the civic level, we can hold people accountable according to their deeds and according to the deeds of an individual, so to speak. There's nothing wrong with that. Romans 11, this is one of the reasons why I've been to dispensationalist churches, like before I was a Lutheran, where we would basically, we'd be reading through Romans and then just uh, skip over chapters 9 through 11. It makes people really uncomfortable when they've uh, been listening to the false gospel of C.I. Schofield. But nonetheless, we will get into a little bit more of that next week because the final verses of Romans chapter 11 are so unfortunately abused, mangled, twisted, and destroyed by people who really want them to say something they're not saying. And we'll get into that and hopefully we'll get to correct it. But I will catch you all with that next week. Amen and amen.